Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name may or may not be Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with William Vanderblumen. Yes, that William Vanderblumen. William is an entrepreneur, pastor, speaker, author, and CEO and founder of the Vanderblumen Search Group. He is an executive sir, executive search... Executive search dude. Yes. We'll just call him that. Serving churches, ministries, and faith-based organizations. And recently, we are going to talk with him, or most recently, we are going to talk with him about his brand new book and some extra content as well. Culture wins. We also talked to him about some interview stuff and what oh, that looks that's, like. That's what I'm saying. That's that extra his, content. His brand new book and extra content. Hashtag winning. Which, if you're not familiar with the William the Vanderbloom and Search Group, interviews is basically like their sweet sauce. That's like what they do. They screen people. They help churches find the right candidates. And so he gives tips and advice on what to do, what not to do. Both when you're interviewing, both for because I haven't heard a lot of stuff about what should the interviewee do. Yeah, we talk with them about that. Yep, good stuff. And also with them, this isn't this isn't the research of the week, but they also have a uh, Vanderbloom and Search Group. They have a podcast, leadership podcast. Go check that out. Um, they've been doing some cool stuff on there. Uh, yep, with the last couple of months, we'll link to that in the show notes. Yep. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. Um, so you can check that out. But we actually have a resource of the week we wanted just to talk about. Caleb, take it away. Yeah. For those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a little while, you know that we've been doing two episodes a month throughout the whole month, the whole month. of June. And today, sadly, is the last day the last for that. Day. But we have learned a ton throughout this whole time. We've shared some of the things that we've learned with you on blogs and so on and so forth. And we had a great time recording all these. Exactly. And so the best way, and this is our resource of the week, the best way to keep up with what we're learning about, Todd is on your Medium Medium blog, right? Which is basically a blog to where Todd will write down the things that he's thinking about. Like a social media blog place. Yep. Yep. And for me, it's two places. It's my Instagram account Boom. where I'm posting all the podcasts that I'm listening to. I'm posting all the books that I've read. And if you want to find out what I'm currently reading, look on Goodreads or on Kip. And we'll link to all those in the show notes. Boom. Now, as we mentioned, we have a great conversation with William Vanderbloom. And if you learned something from this conversation, let us know. Hit us up on social media at The Learner's Corner or or sorry, at the Learner's Corner is Instagram. At Learner's Podcast is our Twitter account. Also, leave us a rating and write a review of the podcast and let us know how we can continue to improve, things that you like about the podcast, things that you wish that we would change about the podcast as well. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we have a great conversation with William Vanderbloom, and we are going to have that right now. As my mom would say, let's do it to it. Well, William, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Oh, man, glad to be here. Thanks. So, William, you have just written a book. It's been out for how long? About a month now? Yeah, right at it, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Can you, so I guess just starting off, um, can you tell us just a little bit about um, about the book? Tell us why you wrote it and what the, what the deal is with it. Yeah, well, we kind of fell into the book. I wasn't super excited about 
writing on it, uh, writing on the subject of teen culture, because I didn't want to, you know, I'm not an expert. I don't want to <laughs> sound like I know it all or anything. But uh, for the last, oh, five or six years, we've been pretty focused at, at our company on trying to not worry too much about five-year strategic plans and that sort of thing, but but really focus on how are we going to get done the job of helping uh, the church, Big C Church, move farther and faster by helping them, you know, solve their people problems. And the the how being like, how do we function? How are we going to get along? I, frankly, I started the company. Staff meetings used to just be me, and those are really good staff meetings. You know, I like me. <laughs> and, I, you know, nobody ever argued and we got done on time and they were really good staff meetings. And you start adding people and it gets more complex. And we got about five or six people in and we really liked working with each other enough that we looked up and said, we got to figure out why we like working together so much and and then codify that so we can hire more people that we like working with. So. Um, from that point, we started winning some awards for best place to work and top company culture and best office space and best office dog. Like, not kidding. And uh, what? Yeah, I know. It's such a Texan thing to have to have a superlative for everything. Oh. But uh, you know, our airport is not uh, Bush International Airport. It's the Bush Intercontinental Airport. So <laughs> everything's got to be a little more. So yeah, best office dog and. Uh, and and people started saying, can you teach on this? Can you write on this? And so we started studying and, you know, found out pretty quickly two out of three Americans hate their job. Just not mildly dislike or yeah. glad it's hump day or but like genuinely hate their job. And, you know, what would happen if you could figure out a way to build workplaces where two out of three people liked their job? And, you know, maybe even didn't hate. It would really change the the whole economy and it changed people's happiness quotient. So we started to say, where did we get lucky? What did we learn? Uh, let's interview 150 CEOs that have also won culture awards. And let's see where the common threads are for uh, what's going on at businesses that people actually enjoy working at. And that led to the book. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of our story. It's a little bit of what we picked up along the way uh, from other business leaders. And, uh, you know, the hope is it'll it'll be a story that will inspire others to figure out their own way of making their place a better place to work, uh, a more irresistible workplace. And uh, I've, I've been pretty amazed at how well it's done. I, I was really reluctant about writing it, and it has uh, done better than I ever would have thought. So, William, one of the things that you're you're kind of known for in your company, um, Vanderbloom and Search Group, is known for is staffing the church. But there's, there's a, so a lot of folks know you in that role. But one of the things folks might not know is that you actually have a lot of experience in the secular business world. Um, and, and what I'm interested in is, as you were writing this book, what were some things maybe that that you took away from your experience in that realm that has helped to inform you as you're building culture uh, in Vanderbloom and as well as as you're writing this book. Yeah, great question. I, you know, I think uh, when we interviewed all these CEOs, we, we did interview a couple churches, um, and we also interviewed uh, some faith-based companies like uh, Dave Ramsey. 
But then we also interviewed people that, you know, at first really didn't want to talk to me because they thought I was like a pastor and I don't go to church. <laughs> and so, so it, it was really cool to listen to them and to see where the congruencies are. Like, why would you spend money on culture? Mm. And, and over and over and over and over. The business guys were the smartest ones about it, and then the the church leaders were also smart, but not as uh, clinical in their answer. It's like, look, man, I make my money back on culture. There's a return on investment. And I'm like, well, what's that? And every one of them independently said, we retain our employees longer, and if we can keep our employees just a little bit longer than our competitors, we're ahead financially. Mm. I talked to one guy who's in a, a software company. Uh, they build some widget for financial analysts in the software world, right? And there are three companies that do this. They're up in New York City. And all three of them charge about the same thing. They're all dealing with the same client base. They all have roughly the same income each year. And he said, since we started focusing on culture, we're three times as profitable as everybody else. I'm like, what are you talking about? You charge the same thing, you get the same top lines. Yeah, but here's the thing. The turnover rate in our industry is super high. It, it's like, you know, 38% or something like that. And he said, I've got 200 employees. Now think about that with me, William. What if I needed you to find 76 people for me? What would that cost? And what would it cost to have to pay severance to people that left? And what would it cost for the dead time when there's nobody in the chair? And what does it cost? I mean, if, I think a lot of your listeners are in their first or second job. You know, when you get to that first job, you probably, if you're like me, you sit down at the desk and for the first week you're sitting there going, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm going to try not to get in trouble while I figure it out. And, you know, there's just a dead zone. Most employees are not worth their salary for several months into work time. And so, you know, if this guy's like, if I can cut my turnover rate down, I'm going to save money. He said, so my turnover rate, instead of 38%, it's about 2% now. And so, Instead of 76 hires, I'm looking at four. And uh, he started running the numbers on it. And it's like, wow, okay. So in the, you know, just straight money in the P&L side of things, uh, having people happier with their workplace, having people with a great culture leads to a better bottom line. And, and that's an investment that a lot of the CEOs that I talk to uh, came around to over and over and over again, which, you know, if you're talking to pastors like, well, Jesus was nice to people. We ought to be nice <laughs> to people at work. And so we ought to build a nice workplace. That's not the math. The math is very cold. It's very, um, well, it's not cold. It's pure. It's clinical. It's like, dude, we lose people. It costs us money in hard costs and soft costs. Right. So let's not lose people. And I'll tell you what, there's a there's a sense in which this is going to be a bigger issue than ever. If you're if your listeners are in that millennial generation, which we actually have real live millennials right here in the office. If we were in video, I could show you one. Uh, and uh, I'm kidding. And uh, we we do have about seventy two percent of our workforce is uh, between twenty five and thirty five in age. So that's that's like where I'm living, right? And what I'm learning about your generation is, uh, you know, the idea of working at one company for 25 years and getting a gold watch, like that's just foreign. That's yeah. not normal. And there, 
appears to be uh, a little longer period of time of settling in, a little longer before you get married, a little longer before you decide this is the career. And, and that all turns into, you know, between 20 and 35, that part of your career might be 15 years. It might be 10 jobs and five different careers within those 10 jobs. So employers are facing a generation that's already pre-wired for uh, turnover. And it's not a bad thing that you're wired that way. It's, there's a lot of reasons. That's a whole other podcast. But uh, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So it's not, can I get somebody to stay 25 years? It's, can I get millennials who now dominate the workforce in terms of how many are out there? Can I get people at my workplace, particularly this new, wonderful generation that's coming up, can I get them to stay two years longer than they would otherwise? Just two. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the competitive advantage that's going to make a financial difference for companies or churches or nonprofits. Doesn't matter what sector you're in. That's going to be the competitive advantage over the next 15 years. What are you seeing that so, – so we're talking about uh, – you, you, what you said was um, can I get them to stay two years longer than they normally would? Are there things that you're seeing trends of how to get that to happen? Like what's the thing that, that companies are employing to, to begin to, to foster that within the millennial generation? A great question. Total softball. Thanks, man. Um, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> I got, I got a, a ton of charts and graphs and research that shows, you know, just how pressing this issue is. You've got baby boomers retiring in record numbers. They're just, they're just a lot of them. Uh, you got people my age, which is in their forties and they're not many of us. And so coming in behind that is sort of storm surge of millennials and smart leaders are saying, we better figure this out. And so, you know, if you look at um, Gallup did a study several years back and, and asked people a question. So imagine yourself at 20 years old and they asked all different age people, imagine yourself at 20 years old, go back that far in your brain. What were the things you wanted to accomplish by the time you were 35? And, and, and so there were, you know, obviously lots of different answers, but there were five key outcomes that everyone up until millennials wanted to see happen by the time they were 35. And the answers were, I want to, I want to get married. I want to start a family. I want to own a home. I want to be on my career development path. And I want to have some measure of financial security. You you get to folks who are millennials, which people date it different, but like the eighties and nineties would be the birth dates, you know, roughly. Um, The only one of those five indicators comes up. I want some measure of financial security. So like staggeringly, there were very few millennials that said, by the time I'm 35, I want to be married, have kids, own a home, be on a career track. So what does that mean? It just means you're taking a long, longer time to settle into what's been traditionally a life, right? So you now have this giant workforce that's out there that, and, and I'm, I know there are exceptions. I know somebody's sitting there saying, I am married. I have three children. Shut up. That, it, I, I, I get it. It's just generalizations. But the science is there and the data is real. And it means that there's a workforce that's dominating the U.S. labor market right now that is largely not married yet. They don't go home to a family. Well, people were made to be together. Even the most introverted person in the world needs someone else in their life, right? In the creation narrative in the Hebrew scriptures, there's the uh, God did this and he called it good. And then God made that and he called it good. And he called, made this and he called it good. And it's like a, uh, almost like a liturgy. Made it, it's good. Made it, it's good. 
And then there's all benedictions, things that are well said. The first malediction, the first, it is not good. Um, God says in the scriptures, it is not good for man to be left alone. So you've got a very lonely generation that has no family. And guess what that means? The people they spend eight hours a day with at work are the closest thing to family they have. So just like any family, right? Uh, to, to get back to your question of what can workers do or, or employers to help retain millennials, uh, understand that you're working with people where you might be the family or the word that I've learned to use or use the family uh, that your millennials <laughs> have, right? Your friends and family. And, and so that means, okay, what does that mean? That means every family's got a set of rules. Like, this is how we function together. So you could boil it down, you know, cultural values, which is what the book tries to help you understand. There is a path to developing cultural values. And it's not just saying excellence. Excellence is our culture. <laughs> right. I'm yet, I'm yet right. to see a company that says we value mediocrity. Like, <laughs> you know, it just no, it's like, what are our family rules? How do we function in our little weirdness? And, you know, every family's got its weirdness. Every company has its weirdness. If you can identify, you know, what are the things that are our idiosyncrasies or weirdness or in the book we say, what is our kind of crazy? That's what we ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then hire people through that lens, state those values, drive those values through every part of the organization. And, and when you start to not just name them, but hire based on that, you're going to hire people that are going to like working with the people that are already there. And they're going to it's going to become kind of a flywheel where it's going to turn on its own. And uh, you'll have before you know it, millennials bringing their millennial friends in saying this one would like to interview, too. So I I think the retention piece really does hinge on some social science that you've got a generation who sees their workforce uh, more who could see their workforce more like family than any generation that's come up before. Typically, a 30-year-old is trying to get done with work, so they can go home and get to soccer practice and get home in time for the homework. And that's not what the typical 30-year-old's facing now. So it's a very interesting dynamic. And it it's not a culture is not this buzzword or today's vogue thing to talk about. It's it's a reality that winning companies are figuring out. Yeah. So we want to switch gears a little bit, you know. Uh, most of our audience, you know, they're they're not necessarily do, being the ones who are um, doing the interviewing. They're some of the people who are being interviewed. And as you were saying, you know, especially with our generation of millennials, they're probably going to be being interviewed a lot because they're switching around different jobs. And so, you know, just with your experience, especially with um, with your company and placing a bunch of people in different churches and stuff, what what are some common mistakes that you see that individuals tend to make when they're being interviewed? Yeah, great question. Um, and I'll, I'll answer a couple things. But, but before that, I would point people. Uh, there are on our website uh, probably 2,000 free resources for hiring, interviewing, all, all the things that have to do with the job search process. And the website's real simple. It's vanderblumen.com. You spell it however you want to spell it. Uh, in fact, you can spell it however you want to spell it in Google, and it is such a messed up last name that it'll drive you right there. So yeah. go there and search around our site. You'll find a lot of things. Uh, you, you can also find some things that I've written on Forbes uh, website. I'm a we'll contributor. all that stuff in the show notes, too, to make it easy for people to find. Oh, cool. Yeah, great, great. They won't so, have to spell the last name. 
<laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, truth be told, the latest article I wrote about, you know, how to blow an interview, even if you're smart, uh, came out of a really smart individual I was interviewing for our company, and they just blew it. And I'm like, you know, about halfway into the interview, I'm like, this is not going to work. And my mind immediately shifts into, well, what can be redeemed here? I'm like, oh, you know what? I need to take notes. What is going wrong here? So I can get some good content out. To so it was a nice, nice person, and I'm sure they're going to be fine. But but here's just three simple things that they did that really didn't work. Uh, they were late, like very late, and didn't let me know they were going to be very late. And uh, you would be surprised at how much of a difference that makes. And and. If you're a millennial and you're interviewing with anybody that's older, particularly if you're beyond the boomer into the the builder generation, like the the uh, you know greatest generation, you know, late is a is a sin. It's bad. Uh, the first church I served was kind of in that greatest generation, sort of a retirement community. And I went to my first board meeting, and I got there like one minute after it was supposed to start. You know. Five o'clock start. I get there at five o one, five o two. I'm like, oh well, that's too bad. And I walked in, and everybody just stared at me. And I'm like, oh well, sorry, I'm late. And one of the elders looked at me and said, "Son, let me tell you what we told each other at Iwo Jima." I'm like, oh my gosh. So he said, "If you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late," You're dead. So I think I was dead in that evening. But uh, it, it really is. I mean, it's like the first. So this sounds melodramatic. It's the first test of your integrity in the interview. Will I be there when I said I would? I tell my kids all the time, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, sorry. But I tell my kids all the time, the longer I'm in business, the more I realize whatever field you go into, if you will just do what you say you're going to do, on schedule and on budget, you will be in the top 5% of your industry immediately. That's all. Wow. Just be on time. And you'd be shocked how many people show up just a little bit late and, oh, I get the traffic. And, the, you know, the traffic, last I checked, traffic does not change a whole lot from day to day, right? And nowadays where the phone will tell you exactly when you need to leave based on traffic reports, it, there's really not much excuse. Uh, so then the second thing I'd say about blowing an interview you know, when you get there late, first of all, if you're going to be late, shoot a text to the person saying, I have so screwed up. I am late. Totally my fault. Uh, but but if you can't do that, then own it right when you get there. Own your mistake. And, and that's true of anything in an interview. Find a way to own a mistake in your interview. One mistake I see people do is they try to be too perfect. What's your biggest weakness? Well, I never ask for a raise and I'll just work too many hours and you know, no, don't use that. <laughs> don't 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 go there. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Talk talk about sometime you screwed up cuz here's the thing. Everybody's messed up. And if I could find a way to statistically analyze, I bet the number of people I've interviewed, I've done 10,000 face-to-face interviews, right? I would bet about 1% of the people I've interviewed genuinely own their mistakes. They usually play the blame game. We're living in a culture of victimhood. 
whether it's financial or relational or what, guess what happened to me and the traffic was bad or it, it doesn't have to be about the late thing. You, if it's a good interview, they're going to ask you about a time that things didn't go like they should have and what you learned. So that's a second thing. Just be on time. And if you can't be on time, own your mistake or somewhere in your view, find a way to show that you are owning your mistake. Uh, and then the third thing that I would say separates a really good interview from not is if you've done the right amount of research about the company you're interviewing with. And what do I mean by, about that? Um, I mean, if you walk in and you're like, so y'all are like a recruiting firm, I guess. I don't, what do y'all do? Like, that would be a bad interview, right? If you walk in and you say, hey, it looks like you're serving this church and this church and this church, and they're very different. How do you work with churches that are so different as you're trying to find their top staff? Well, now that's like, okay, cool. You've done some homework. Now, you can take it too far. I've had this happen. If you walk in the interview and somebody says, I saw that picture of you and your dog on Instagram last night, and, and man, you know, your wife is really good looking too. And I, like, if you're a creeper, that's not going to work. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so it's the right amount of information. I've done homework on you as an employer, maybe a little bit as you as a manager, uh, but not so much that you sound creepy and stalky. So there's three things. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about how we started before we actually started recording. And I was asking you about you and Carrie Newhoff. That's awkward. <laughs> I'm just going to move past that now. Well, we know each other a little bit at least, so that's, that's okay. That's, that's fine. Okay, we'll, 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 go, we'll, we'll go with that. Is there anything else that folks need to think about as they're preparing for an interview? Uh, I would dress a half step ahead of what you think the business dress is like. A half step ahead? Not a full step, but a half step. Okay. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, you you are putting on your best, but you don't want to look like you're overdoing it, right? And I would say I've seen more people make the mistake of underdressing rather than overdressing, and it, it's it's a big deal. And it, frankly, it's such a confusing workplace now. Like we're going, we're struggling with this at our own office. You think we know how to do these things? Just like we don't, we're not dressy, we're not formal, but we're not business casual. And if you like Google image dressy casual. It's amazing the spectrum you get. So, <laughs> sure. It's like yeah. you, that really that's dressy and like that that's casual, but it's it, it's a confusing time. So if you can just kind of figure out what do people wear to this office and take it a half step ahead of that, then you're going to come off as man, he is taking this seriously and he's not weird, you know, he's not way past where we are. Uh so so that would be one little thing cuz you know, the it's an old line that's been used a lot but you know there's a reason old lines that get used a lot get used a lot and and the line is you, you only get one chance to make a first impression so i guess move, moving forward a little bit let's say that the person is they've got they've got the job you know it's their first few weeks of you know being at the company and they're trying to learn about the culture of the organization what advice would you give that person well, if you if you came uh, to work at our office, you just walk in the conference room and they're plastered to the wall. So it's uh, it's not uh, you know it's not a hard thing to figure out. Mm -hmm. uh, if you walk in and you don't know what the culture is, you know I would look for people that seem to be doing well. Like I'm a big believer in momentum in business. 
look where the momentum is and follow that. And and it's true in churches too. Look where God's moving and go there. And that's that's how you know where you're going to learn what you're going to you know find yourself sharpened by. So when you get to a new workplace, try, just try to figure out who is the person that's really getting it done. And it might be somebody who's very quiet and behind the scenes, but they're getting it done. And just observe. And uh, yeah, just observe. I, I wouldn't, again, do not stalk yeah. the killer, the killer salesperson <laughs> and then try. Nobody likes that. Uh, but I will, I will say I've found a great question. If you're a pastor, you can ask your older members this. If you're a new employee, when the timing is right, you can ask your coworkers this, particularly the ones that have been around a while. And the question is, it's like, hey, if you can't work for me, hey, William, if you could go back and talk to William on his first day at this job, w- what would you tell him now that you know that you didn't know then? And, and I've, I've found very few people who are unwilling to answer that. Most people like that question. And if it's somebody who's done well, like... The quickest way to see cultural fit is to see somebody who's getting promoted regularly. Like, clearly they fit in. Even if the values aren't written down, it's like they are functioning within the family rules. So, yeah. So, a lot of times, whenever it comes to culture, we hear about how the top leaders of an organization can impact culture and, you know, kind of move it forward and continue to progress. But what can someone do who isn't necessarily in charge do to positively impact and move the culture of an organization forward? Yeah, I would say uh, buy a, bo- a, a book called Culture Wins. And uh, we, we, so when you, it's interesting. When you write a book, I didn't know this until I'd written books. You don't write a book to a group of people. You write a book to a person, maybe two. Like you get who is the, 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 the reader I'm after. And let me think about them and what makes them go. And so we have two, we call them avatars or personas that we were writing this book to. Okay. Uh, one is uh, the guy who is on his church board, but is a leader in his business as well, right? And he can see use for this book in business, but also some strands of faith that could work in the church. And then two, um, the millennial in the office who is doing well enough that they have the ear of their manager. Because they're going to like this book. They're going to like the stories in the book. They're going to like the way it flows and reads. And and then they can hand it to their managers. I just read this, and you might enjoy this. And uh, that might be, you know, a way to uh, – it's, it's not a threatening book. It's not like people have had it wrong. It's like, hey, here's a, here's a new way of looking at things. And uh, hopefully some great millennials will hand the book to their boss and start the conversation about culture that way. William, whenever I, whenever we start the the, um, the culture conversation, I think whenever a lot of owners, CEOs, when they when they hear that word come up, they immediately think dollar signs. Mm-hmm. Um, what and, and 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 there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and and I've, we've you've talked in other places about you know Dave Ramsey and, and the money that he spends on on culture and, and creating uh, things like that for employees. But but what are some things that leaders can do interpersonally with others that 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 don't cost money that are that are incredible when it comes to uh, creating that and boosting morale? Well, if you look at things that don't cost money, you'd be surprised how how little we spent on culture in the beginning. And, and you know, we won uh, Entrepreneur Magazine named us the top company culture of of all the companies they looked at. We were in the small business division, but we also had the highest score for 
any size company. And uh, when they called and said we'd won the award, I'm like, what is this about? We like I think of top company cultures and I think of like Silicon Valley. Right. And, uh, you know, sliding boards instead yeah. of staircases and <laughs> Miss Pac-Man machines and endless food supply for people to just snack all day. And we don't have any, we have Ikea furniture. I mean, <laughs> and, yeah. and frankly, most of the people in our office put their own desk together. So it's like, <laughs> we're not fancy. It, it's cult, culture's not about money. It's also not about having to create fun. You know, you want an irresistible workplace, but that doesn't mean it has to be fun. People will mistake. We got to have some fun events and then that'll be culture. I've seen so many people waste money on big corporate junkets, big parties, thinking if we can get them to have fun, that'll be culture. That's not it. It's as simple as sitting down and here, here's a free meeting you can have to build culture. OK, get your whole staff together. Now, if you're in a company of hundreds and hundreds of people, you're going to have to figure out how to do it on a scalable uh, system, but get people together and say, you know, we're going to spend the afternoon or the morning or whatever, about a half day. So I say it costs nothing. You're going to pull people out of work for a little while, which does have a soft cost. Uh, and, and we're going to tell stories. And I want everybody to think of a, a day or a story or a time where at the end of the day, they went home from work and they said, you know, we got something good done today. This was a good day. And people start telling stories. And and you just capture those. You know, you write down the first line of them or give them a title and put them up on the wall on a, uh, you know, a giant post-it. And then use those stories. And everybody loves telling those stories. And and frankly, culture's at its best when we're functioning at our best. So you're, you're what, what you're doing, you don't even know it, is you're talking about your culture even before you've named it. And the next step is then to say, all right, let's think about those stories. And let's ask this question. When we are functioning at our very, very best, what do we do as a team that's common to us, but uncommon to other teams we see around us? Mm. So like for us, you know, it was, uh, well, we get back to people really fast and there are five or six stories that talk about the speed being the determining factor. Well, that led to uh, walking through a process of naming some values and we outline how to do all that in the book. Um, but one of our values is ridiculous responsiveness. And it came out of us asking that question after telling stories. It didn't cost us a nickel other than the time we were missing work. Um, and, and then as you start to build cultural experiences, which, again, we outline in the book, um, you know, one of the first cultural events we did, we figured out that the company events we do don't just have to be the company picnic. Uh, we're actually having a company picnic day after tomorrow. but. Uh, it doesn't just have to be that. Uh, Katie Pritzma, who at the time was the person that we had overseeing culture, right when we got started, came to me and said, have you ever heard of this thing called escape rooms? <laughs> and and it, yeah. and it was a, this was five years ago, so they weren't quite a thing yet, you know? And I'm like, no, tell me about it. And she explained the whole thing. She said, can we do that as a culture event? I said, well, I'm open to it. Why do you think that would be good? She said, well we have a value that we've stated of solution side living because we always get asked to solve problems we've never seen before. This would be a problem we haven't seen before. We've talked about ridiculous responsiveness. We're on a clock. We got to get it done fast. And she walked through about three or four other values where it's like, this isn't just a fun thing to do. This is something we can do that will sharpen the values that we've already said 
our, our cultural values. And it costs about $8 a person. Like, mm-hmm. huh. And it worked. Now, now, that's a great example. Not all of our our events are that closely tied to culture. But, uh, you know, once you have your values identified and stated, you can start to think creatively. And it does not require throwing some giant party or going on some trip or creating fun or putting in sliding boards. You, you, you can do it with IKEA furniture. Well, William, I think that leads into the to, to an, another interesting piece of this, which is, you know, oftentimes we think of culture as like the vehicle to get things done. So we have to have our people motivated to be able to do things. But, but so what I want to know is how do we how can we leverage culture to reinforce vision? Yeah, well, you know, for me, and I'm still learning this, right? For me, the vision of an organization is what we feel called to do, right? For us, we help faith-based organizations, might be a business, might be a church, might be a school. We help faith-based organizations solve their people problems. And Like there's nothing more expensive in business than a people problem. And that might be our culture's bad. It might be we need to find a new CFO. It might be we need some consulting on how to move from point A to point B with our staff. But but that's our vision. We're going to, you know, teams that are committed to doing good, we want to turn into great teams. And so that's vision, what we want to get done. For us, our cultural values are the way we're going to behave while we're getting it done. Oh. And and so it's 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 not that one supports the other. It's just you you don't need in an age of super rapid change, you don't need a five year plan, but you do need to know what the family rules are because everything else is going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and and I, you know, I'm all for diversity. We have a wide range of ages. We have I'd like to see better, but we have pretty good ethnic diversity here, all for it. Um, I don't want any diversity on our culture. None. And that's not uh, 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 racial, ethnic, or socioeconomic, or uh, age-based thing. If you fit our family values, no matter what you look like on the outside, that's fine. I don't want anybody who doesn't fit. Yeah. And we aren't going to get the mission accomplished without it. So what's what's something recently that you've just been learning about culture? Uh, that I need to get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, you know, one of the findings in our research was you know, the bigger an organization gets, uh, the harder it is to keep culture tight. You know, when we started out, we were in a tiny little office space that ended up being half of a duplex of a small home. And everybody knew everything that was going on. And now we've got, you know, not a huge office, but. 15,000 feet and 40 full-time employees here, and you can't really know everything that's going on. It, the bigger we get, the harder it is. So I need to get better at it. Yeah. And just, so, as, just as we're getting ready to conclude, we have a few questions, few questions that we always love to ask people. And so sure. just one is, what's one thing that you've started doing recently that is helping you a lot, either personally or professionally right now? Stretching. <laughs> <laughs> What I love about that answer is not that it's kind of funny. It's that you didn't even have to think about it. Nope. I'm I'm sitting here. My hamstrings are killing me. I'm, I, my trainer 
must have been in a fight with her husband last night because she was mean this morning and I need to stretch. <laughs> um, but, it, but it does go, you know, I, some years back, you know, your listeners probably can't relate to this just yet, but you get to an age where you do have to stretch or you're going to get injured when you work out. And so, and I hate it and I've never been real good at stretching anyway, but I, some years back I was on the floor trying to, you know, start stretching and, uh, I probably sweat more trying to touch my toes than I did on the whole run that I'd just done. And my, at the time, our youngest was about mm, two, two or three, somewhere in there. And she walked in and she looked at me and she sat down next to me and she tied herself in this sort of human pretzel that only two or three year olds can do. And then she stood up and looked at me again and laughed and left the room without saying a word. <laughs> And and, and I, won't, I won't forget it. I, I'm still trying to learn, practice the lesson. But the lesson I learned that day, I thought to myself, you know what? Every day I'm alive, I get less flexible. That's a, there's, a good, there's some good life lessons in that. That in, like, has stuck. And it's true of companies. It's true of churches. It's true of individuals. And, you know. And and if you think, man, the iPhone is barely ten years old, you you even remember life before that? It's like, oh, no, yeah. So you know, change is just going to get faster and faster over the next next decade. And if I let myself get stiff when I could be practicing stretching, then then that's on me. So stretching is my answer. That's great. How how do you learn best? Uh, in groups. Definitely. We host a, a coaching network here for people that want to come and learn from us. Uh, we limit it. We only have 16 seats. We do it twice a year. And uh, we built it uh, partly because Tim Stevens on our team had been doing it for a number of years when we hired him. But we've expanded it a little bit because we realized, you know, conferences are great. They've got their place. But where I learn best is in a roundtable with idea exchange. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And then just our final question is, William, what are you learning right now? Yeah, well, I, I'd love to say learning how to sell a book better, but I, I don't, I, I, that's not it. Um, we're actually working on the next book. Um, and, and I don't write just because I like to write. I write as uh, here's what I'm learning as we're helping companies and organizations and churches find their staff, solve their people problems. Here are the things I'm learning that might be able to help you and, and also that will sharpen us and drive business back to us. So uh, we're, we're books take a while to get done. So we're already kind of in the throes of getting that that built out. Cool. Well, William, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So all of my social and all that stuff is on our website. Just Google Vanderbloom. And again, spell it however you want to. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I, I didn't think about it till now, guys, but it, it might be fun for your listeners to go uh, to thecultureTool.com. Mm-hmm. So while we were writing this book, we were like, you know, we've, we've identified eight areas of health in an organization that will tell you whether the organization, organization is just fundamentally healthy or toxic as a workplace. And so why, what, wouldn't it be cool if we could build an online assessment that people could take and figure out, is this place healthy or not? As it's just the beginning of a conversation. It's totally free. You can do it as an individual. You can do it as a team. And you'll see. Theculturetool.com will get them there. It's, it's a fun little thing that gives you 
kind of instant results. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, William, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. Todd, I know that culture and organizations and stuff like that is something that you really enjoy learning about a lot. So I'm curious, what's something that you learned about from our conversation with William? Well, for one, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's a surprise any of the things he was talking about whenever it comes to millennials and then this new generation coming up and how they what what they're what they're wanting from a workplace. So I don't think that for those of you listening, I don't think it's probably a surprise for any of you. But I thought that was really strong to point that stuff out. Um, so that was that was one of my major takeaways. But the, the one I really wanted to talk about is some of the stuff whenever it came to interviewing and hiring. Um, I think that those tips and things uh, were good because it's pointing out both for employers as well as for employees what what to be looking for and what what to be doing. And I think that some of the traditional things that um, employers look at are still are. I think what he was saying is it, they're still valid. But there's just some nuances to it, right? So the being on time thing is equivalent to keeping your word. Like, can you keep your word that you're going to do? I think that's phenomenal, especially for younger um, generations to, to really understand that. Because I think that at times, time is a little bit fluid for us. Um, basically, being that we're late to things. Um, so I think that that's a great one to pay attention to. But I also think that for employers, as you're looking at it, I think it's important to understand that it's not necessarily that we're wanting to play and have for you to put ping pong tables in the break room and be like a, a Silicon Valley, you know, uh, startup out there. But it is important to, to give give us give give younger employees a purpose and have fun. Yeah, and, and and make it make it something where it's fun. They have a purpose. There's something that we're working towards. There's something that's bigger than uh, than than them than your employees that they're working towards. I think that's all valid. I think it's great things to remember, especially as you're doing as you're doing the interviews but but culture wins is something i think that that not only not only can businesses learn from this churches can really really begin to to, to hone it to, to kind of hone in on that and and figure out what that looks like for them because i mean it's, it's true that when you like where you work you like to go to work exactly boom now Make if, that a quote. if you enjoyed this episode we have great episode for you next week next week we are talking with jamie wright who's this person do you you want to know what jamie's nickname is what is it caleb the very worst missionary and so we're going to talk with her next week about missions her story from first getting involved to missions to where she is today and how her view on missions and really as it concerns the church and how it's changed and so it's a fascinating conversation and it'll it might get some of you riled up it's gonna jack some people's faces up, and that's okay but the best way to make sure you don't miss that next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on itunes or whatever podcast player you use it's the best way to make sure you don't miss any episodes of the learner's corner podcast also If you've learned something on this podcast or if you want to show your support for the podcast, leave a rating and write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes or wherever you want to leave a rating. If you want to just blast it to the world to social media, you can do that as well. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Hicksonball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.